Well, let me invite you, uh, church, uh, as uh, these folks find their way back to their seat, to open the scriptures uh, with me this morning uh, to Psalm 51, Psalm 51, uh, as we look at God's word. Uh, And certainly, as mentioned moments ago, we've uh, been in this series uh, looking at uh, altars, altars, places of sacrificial worship. Uh, We began the series looking at uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the Lamb of God. Uh, who gives his life on the altar of the cross for the sins of the world. Uh, last week, uh, in our, our one service, our early service, uh, James led us to look at Galatians 2.20 uh, and what it means to lay our lives before uh, this God who gave his life, who gave the life of his uh, son for us. And as we look at Scripture, as we study Scripture, as we interact with God, uh, we learn that even once we give our lives to him, we still struggle with something called sin. Uh, We still deal with uh, rebellion and self-centeredness and uh, other expressions of dishonoring God. And so because of that, our relationship with God is often characterized by this tension, a tension that comes uh, by way of sin that disrupts fellowship between us and a holy and perfect and righteous God. This uh, tension and this relationship in flux is, is nothing new. For God's people, David, that great contributor to the Bible and man after God's own heart, dealt with this and he wrote about it. God used used and uses and will use David's reflection on it for our own good. And so we're going to look at Psalm 51. If you grew up in church, then you likely know the backstory to this, that, that David committed grievous sin, that he engaged in adultery, and then he engaged in murder to cover up his sin, to cover up his adultery. We're not going to turn there and look at it uh, this morning, but uh, familiar with that story or not, I would encourage you to go home and read it today. This is a scandalous and dramatic story recorded in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11 and 12. Uh, and, and, and so uh, following that sin, that encounter Uh, the prophet Nathan is sent to David by God to confront David in his sin. So David then begins to confess his sin before God. And Psalm 51 is uh, a theological reflection uh, sometime after the fact about uh, that process and that experience of being made aware of his sin, confessing his sin, and then finding assurance of forgiveness from God. So it's David's words, it's a prayer to God, but by nature of inclusion in the scriptures, it's also uh, words of God to us, a model prayer for us. So let's uh, look at it together. Let me invite you to to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Psalm 51, beginning in uh, verse 1, the scriptures read this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Let's pause there and pray. And Father, we do thank you for your word. 
We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for the book of Psalms. We thank you for this psalm, this prayer that guides us in knowing how we are to interact with you, how we are to talk with you, and teaches us what it means to be forgiven and restored by you. Guide us now, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truths. Shape us according to your will. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. So here's David writing about uh, his sin and confessing his sin to God. He realizes at this point that he has made a major mistake, made a number of major mistakes, uh, revealing the depth of his sin, of his rebellion, of his disobedience uh, to God. And so he pursues forgiveness. He pursues to be restored into right relationship with God. And notice what he does. Notice what he says. Notice how he begins. He begins uh, by appealing to God's character. He begins by appealing to who God is. He begins by acknowledging the truth about God and the truth about himself. You see, the repentant acknowledge the truth about God and self. Those who are repentant, those who are, are truly repentant, sorry for their sins and want to make it right before God, will acknowledge the truth about God and the truth about self. You see, the seriousness of our sin, the gravity of our sin is determined by the one whom we sin against. And because of who God is, our sin is a serious issue. And as David confesses here, all sin is ultimately against him. Perhaps a, uh, an illustration or a perspective uh, of someone in the army helps us understand this principle. For example, in the army, it's a greater offense, or certainly would be considered to be a greater offense for a private uh, to offend uh, a sergeant major than it would be for a private to offend another private but because of who that person is, because of his status, because of his rank, because of his position. Likewise, there are uh, rules of, of war, known as the international uh, humanitarian law, uh, that govern uh, right practices for warfare in the unfortunate event that war takes place around the world. So according to the Geneva Convention, uh, it is a crime, it's a war crime, uh, to attack civilians. Because civilians are not held responsible for a war, perhaps for the evils that lead to a war. Many of them, innocent bystanders, uh, un, uh, uh, not held responsible uh, for what perhaps the leaders of their nation have carried out. Well, likewise, our sin against God is a big deal. It's a large matter because of who God is. He's innocent. Not only is he innocent, he's creator. He's holy. He's set apart. There's no one else in his category. We are completely dependent on him for life. He's eternal. He's righteous. He's good. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. He created us in his image. He holds us accountable to him. And because we sin against him, it is a big deal. And David knows this. David knows that his only chance of forgiveness is to appeal to God's mercy. And so that's exactly what he does. He appeals to God's mercy. For God is merciful. God is merciful, loving, compassionate, and just. The God that we serve, the God who has made himself known in the scriptures, the God who is here with us today is a God who is merciful and loving and compassionate and just. Psalm 51 verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Or is this only because of who God is? It's only because it's because of his good and gracious character that we can approach him despite our sin. We can approach him because this is who he is, because he is merciful, because he's loving, because he's compassionate, and because he is just. And even so, we are rebellious, wicked, and self-centered. Friends, we as people, as human beings, characterized by sin, we are rebellious, we are wicked, we are self-centered. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything good. Does it mean that we don't do many things good? Does it mean that we don't attempt to help others and honor the Lord? But in many ways, often times we are characterized by rebellion, wickedness, self-centeredness, pursuing our own way. David uses three words to describe his sin here. His opening verses, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Three different words, all carrying slightly different nuances, highlighting the depth of his sin nature. An earthy picture of his birth. It's as if he says, this is how human I really am. A creature. Followed by three expressions of pleading for forgiveness. Just blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Three pictures of forgiveness. You see, David is no longer hiding his sin. He's confessing his sin. He's been made aware of his sin. He is speaking of his sin to God. He knows that his only hope for forgiveness is to appeal to a God who is merciful and loving and just and gracious. No longer hiding in his sin. I wonder how many of us gathered here this morning are hiding our sin. How many of us are ignoring our sin and the disruption that it causes, the disfellowship that it causes between us and God? Invited, according to scriptures, to confess our sin, to confess it openly and freely before this God who already knows all things. It's an uncomfortable path to admit our flaws, to speak our flaws, our failures, our disobedience before Him. Uncomfortable path, but a necessary path for intimacy with Him. A necessary path for intimacy with God. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of salvation. Confessing our sin before Him. The repentant acknowledge the truth about God and self, and then the repentant experience restoration with God. According to this psalm, according to the Scriptures, the repentant, those who truly repent, to acknowledge the truth about God and self, experience restoration with God. With God, let's continue in the psalm. Verse 7, David prays, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, this is a, a prayer of longing. David is longing for a restored relationship with his God once again. He's longing to experience the joy of fellowship with God once again, the joy of salvation. This is not the prayer of an outsider. This is the prayer of an insider, one 
who is a person of faith, who recognizes that his sin has broken his fellowship with God. And sin does just that. Church, sin condemns destroying fellowship with God. That's what sin does. Sin condemns condemns us as guilty, destroying our fellowship with God. I I was privileged, uh, I think, to attend a, a, a Baptist university. Uh, And at that Baptist school, I think God used uh, ministry classes and theology classes to confirm and clarify his calling on my life. But while uh, I was in college at Washington Baptist University, I remember one particular professor, one particular theology professor that was uh, a rather intimidating fellow. Uh, He was this brilliant mind, made all of us feel rather small. We didn't didn't want to speak up in class, but uh, sometimes we couldn't get around that. Because he would call on us. That was his style. And I remember one particular class, uh, this professor, uh, all of a sudden, out of of the blue, uh, saying, Chris, uh, define salvation. Define salvation. Heart pounding. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to get this right. I'll just say the first thing that I can to divert the attention on somebody else. I just responded and said, salvation is, is being in right relationship with God. And he paused for a second. I don't think I'll ever forget his response. He, he said, you know, that, that's actually a pretty good answer. He was surprised. I was surprised. Classmates. Classmates were congratulating me after class. I wasn't used to getting that type of affirmation in that particular class. But... But salvation is being in right relationship with God because sin breaks our fellowship with God. It destroys our relationship with God. And those who have been forgiven, those who know the Lord, David here knew the Lord despite his sin, was a believer. He longed to be in right fellowship, to be in right relationship with God once again because he knew that that was the most satisfying place to be. Like he's so broken over his sin that his body aches. His body hurts. He prays in verse 8, Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. This is deep conviction, deep brokenness. David is a wreck. And he longs for true fellowship with God. He's a mess. And he needs God to restore him. And the truth is that only God can restore him. For only God can clean up the sinner. Do you know that only God can clean up The sinner. Psalm 51, verse 10, David prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This word for create that David uses here is found elsewhere in the Old Testament. And of its many occurrences in the Old Testament, it is only used to describe the actions of God. This is a word in the scriptures that is reserved for God alone. Only God creates. David is saying, only you, God, can clean up my heart. Only you can, can forgive me. Only you can give me a pure heart in your eyes. I ask you this morning, church, are you clean? Are you clean before God? Are you forgiven before Him? Are you right in your relationship with Him? Do you have fellowship with Him because you have repented and trusted in His provision to save you? It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That blood is the hyssop that 
makes us clean. His blood washes us whiter than snow. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes this truth this way. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes to believers, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, believers, all of you, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse 4, but because of God's love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. In other words, he says, God cleanses you. God forgives you. He applies the righteousness of, of Christ to your life. He washes you whiter than snow as you repent and trust in Jesus to save you. Does not mean that you and I don't still struggle with our sin? We know that we do. We're still characterized by this tension, this struggle to sin. But when we sin, when we stray, as we so often do, We're invited to confess our sin once again to God, knowing that if we confess our sin, right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, that's a sure word from God. David was awaiting the messenger of the God to assure him that he was forgiven his sin. We don't have to wait on that word. We have that word from the Lord. Church, the repentant experience restoration with God. And then the restored celebrate this God who forgives. The restored celebrate the God who forgives. Let's look at the final portion of this text, beginning in verse 13. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so the sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Restore to celebrate the God who forgives. This is David's anticipated response when he hears that he has been restored into right relationship, right fellowship with his maker. He's saying, I will do these things. Lord, you forgive me. You wash me clean. You restore me. And this is how I will respond. This is what I will do. The reconciled bear the message of reconciliation. They bear the message of reconciliation. How so? They they tell. They tell. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. They tell. And they sing. Verse 14. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. They tell. They sing. And they praise. They praise. Verse 14. 15, he says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, those who are forgiven of their sins and know that they are forgiven their sins proclaim the grace of the God who forgives them. Do you know this God? Do you know this God who cleanses? Do you know this God who restores? Do you know this God who saves you? Do you know this God who blots out our transgressions, this one who washes away our iniquity, this one who cleanses us from our sin. 
You see, this God restores broken sinners. This God is, is gracious. He restores broken sinners. Restores broken sinners. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, this God, the only God, He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. He wants us to be broken over our sin and to run to Him for His mercy. He desires our lives. doesn't mean that He doesn't desire our sacrifices. doesn't mean that He doesn't desire our service and our gifts. He does. But it means He doesn't want those things if He doesn't have our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel when He went to anoint the next king of Israel. For Samuel chapter 16. David goes and he sees, or Samuel goes and he sees David's older brother and he says, this is an impressive man. This must be the next king of Israel. And the Lord says to him, uh, don't consider his appearance. The Lord doesn't look at the things uh, that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Jesus confirmed that same truth, and we saw it in our Mark study, Mark chapter 7. Jesus is speaking to the religious of his day. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You see, the Lord wants our hearts. He wants us. Brokenness over our sin, confessing it to Him, resting in His grace. So let me ask you, this morning, are you broken over your sin? Are you broken over your sin? Are you broken over your sin against God or are you ignoring the seriousness of your sin against God? It's okay to be broken. It's good to be broken in this way. It's good to recognize the depth of our failures, the depth of our impurity and unrighteousness when compared to the standard of the holy, perfect, and eternal God. It's okay to be broken, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. See, David didn't stay there. He didn't sit and sulk all alone. He turned to God. So let's turn to God. Let's turn to God and seek restoration and renewal. When we sin, when we go our own way, let's confess our sin to God and let's seek restoration. Let's seek spiritual renewal from him. Let's long for the joy and the gladness of salvation and intimacy with our Maker, knowing that we can have it because of who He is and because He offers it to us by His grace. Forgiveness is available. Mercy can be found at the foot of the cross. Let's run to the cross. For those who repent and turn to Jesus, one who gave his life on the altar of the cross for us are the saved. And the saved will be welcomed into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Almighty God, forever and ever and ever. And they will celebrate the God who saves. So let's celebrate the God who saves us. Celebrate the God who saves you. That's where this psalm ends. There's a movement here. In Psalm 51, from repentance to restoration to celebration. 
Repentance to restoration to celebration. May that pattern, may that refrain, may that anthem play out in our lives on this earth time and time again as we are broken over our sin, as we repent of our sin before God and as we seek restoration and renewal from Him and then as we celebrate this God who saves. See, those who have been spiritually restored and renewed can rightly worship God and worship Him fully. Can you worship Him fully today? Can you celebrate Him today? Let's celebrate this God who saves. Let's celebrate Him now as we respond. Let's celebrate Him this day. Let's celebrate Him day in and day out forevermore because He is worthy of our praise. And Father, may that be true in our lives. May our lives be a response to Your mercy and Your grace. May we live for You. May we proclaim Your goodness and Your mercy. May we exalt the name of Jesus now and forevermore. Hear our praise. Hear our confession. Restore us. Assure us. Guide us for your glory. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.